Hello everyone, this is Airy. I'm a person, and I think things, and I feel things, and I have a body, and I have to manage that all the time. I have emotions, got to manage those all the time. It's weird. It's really weird. Existence is strange as fuck. But there are people that you come across that make it a little bit easier to deal with. They help you feel your existence. Acknowledge the things that you feel, the things that you think, the person that you are, and the things that you're not. These are moments in relation that are very authentic. And these are authentic relations. There are different frameworks that people have come up with, different tools that we can use to communicate with one another that help us feel more seen, that help us acknowledge who we are and what our experience is. They help bring into the light the shadow parts of ourselves that we don't like to look at, that we try to close off from, that we try to mask. You could call these authentic relating games, frameworks. And the guest on today's episode is my friend Guy Singstock. Guy is the founder of what is called Circling. Circling is one of these tools. Circling is a framework in which we can see each other better and be more authentically connected to one another and not to fix each other. This is not a therapy. This is not a this is not a way for us to drastically improve ourselves directly. This is a way just to hear each other, just to provide a space for us to say what's real in us and for us to train the muscle, the muscle, the muscle of truthfulness. Guy has been doing this for a really long time. Since I was a wee little lad. He's very insightful and he's so funny. His humor is something that I think makes him great at this. And I haven't been in a circle with Guy yet. That is soon to come, I'm sure. As we've been sending voice memos back and forth all week that just have me rolling laughing. He's so funny. So, it's an interesting topic, really. And if you've been listening to the podcast for any length of time, one of the things that I hope you are noticing is that I am trying my best to be honest with you. I am trying my best to be earnest, to be truthful, to be transparent in the moments that I don't know what the fuck is going on, when I don't feel totally confident, when I feel scared, when I feel confused. This podcast is literally a journal of my transformation, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. I am picking these guests out because there are areas of my life that I know are calling me to grow. And so I pick these people out because I have an intuition that they have something to teach me. 
guy is one of those people. And I'm so, so, so glad that the universe brought me to Guy because not only is he someone who is so worthy of me giving teacherly authority, he's also a brother. And he is fun and funny and light. And this whole look at your shadow thing doesn't have to be as dark and heavy as I once imagined. You can check out Guy's work at The Circling Institute. He's trained thousands of people to do this. He's facilitated thousands of these... What would I say? Thousands of these circles. And we had just a fucking rad time. Guy, I love you so much. Thank you so much for your time and your insight. If you guys like this conversation, consider supporting this show. As you can hear in the episode, there's a little bit of a... That's because my microphone is breaking. Computer broke last week, microphone this week. So if you got a big pile of money that you don't know what to do with, go ahead and send it over, paypal.me slash in the air. I've been searching for those things on Craigslist, but haven't come up with anything. So, without further ado, here's a little bit of beep bop tunage. I play music on this channel to try to get you out of whatever headspace you're in before and kind of, it's like almost a way to try to guide you towards a certain kind of headspace as we enter these conversations. I'm trying to hijack your mind. Mind control. Wah, 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 wah. This is the Twilight Zone. A little bit longer intro today than usual. Something about thinking about Guy's episode has given me has given me permission in my mind to just give a little bit of a ramble here this morning. So, <sighs> love you guys. Hope you enjoy this talk with Guy. Check out his work. He's really such a G, and his name starts with G, so it's really fitting. It just works. Okay, here we go. and um speech yeah podcast Mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah it's a good it's a really good honestly man it's like been super 
helpful. It's been so therapeutic. Like yeah. to talk to people like Zach Stein. Yeah. To talk to people like Terry Patton. Yeah. Like these are like yeah. pretty sagey. These are pretty sagey, wise people. Right. Right. And oh God, yeah. I mean, you know, I really, I really get what you're talking about. I, in fact, a lot of what I do is look at, is, is looking at what happens like when we talk to each other, or what could happen, right? What doesn't often happen? What could happen in conversation? But when you talk to somebody with like a really big mind right, or really connected to some, some, they see something on the horizon that not everyone else sees, like to engage in dialogue with them is to, is to kind of, in some sense, is to become someone who could see that too, right? Like it that's what is. the It is, there the is a, there's yeah. such a sense of like imposter syndrome that I have that like somehow like Zach and I do 90 minutes of like super jam, like not just like download from him, but like a super yeah. jam. I'm like, whoa, how did that, how does that happen? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So exactly. I told Peter, I'm like, I'm riding a huge wave of imposter syndrome through this whole thing. And it, yep. And I like to do backflips. So I do the backflip on the wave and I just ride it. Here we go. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. What has been like, what has been the impact for you on like, of, as you've opened up to more, more signal from other people mm. and having this conversation, what, like, what's been just like when you're walking around with your wife or when you're like going out in the world, like what's the, in what way does if if it does, do these conversations kind of live in you? Mm. I love that question. Um, Honestly, it, <clears throat> on one hand, it helps so much just by being able to understand things from more perspectives and more nuanced perspectives and more integral and meta-theoretical perspectives and to be able to like remove myself and my attachments from the whole picture that we are theorizing, that we are learning about, that we're talking about. And that's really, really helpful. Yeah. But... On the other hand, it doesn't really mitigate the sense of like, holy shit, people need to like hear this. People need to like learn this. People need to like, like, oh man, like we're headed towards the cliff. Mm -hmm. It's great to understand the cliff more. Mm -hmm. It's great to like understand how fast we're going. It's great to understand, you know, like all the different reasons why all this shit is like, you know, real and. But I don't know. And there's also a sense of, there's also a sense of like, that I feel like grateful and I feel lucky to like be in conversation. Like Terry Patton was like, oh, let's hear your story. And then I told him basically like my story. And he's like, oh, yeah, I love you. Here's my wing and you're going to come right under it, buddy. You just come on right under the shade of my wing. And I was like, mm -hmm wow huh so like there's a i feel really super grateful and like to even have the conversations and it, it honestly this experience this this experience where i somehow 
interact with someone's work or them online, typically through the STOA or through Rebel Wisdom or through writing or articles on Medium, and I email them, and they have no idea who I am, and I'm like, hey, meet me in a Zoom meeting at this time, and we meet, and we sit here for an hour, and we jam, and we like connect with people that are essentially strangers, but inspirational through a network, and it's like... Like that experience is just like fucking gold, man. That is just gold. And I've had so much yeah. fun. Just like, it's crazy how deep we can go in an hour from never meeting before. Right, right. It's crazy how far we can go and how deep we can go. And honestly, like I have been like, lifting really, really heavy weights with my truthfulness muscle. Mm -hmm. And especially on the podcast, like yesterday I had a big talk with Greg Enriquez and like, I just like, I told him all the ways I was feeling and all the things I was scared about. And man, that guy is just a G and he like walked me through his like clinical thing that he's developed over the last two decades. And so, yeah. <laughs> It's been, it's been really therapeutic, you know, cause fuck man, the world is crazy right now. The world is yeah. just crazy. And it's like the news cycle, especially in the last week, the news cycle has really come back into play in a major, major way. It was like the first week of COVID when everything was shut down, it was like news cycle heavy. And then everyone kind of got used to it. And we were like, we're kind of like getting into this thing. We were like, we were managing it in a different way. And then the news cycle came back in and it really was like, Hey, here's another dose of, it's like almost like an intravenous injection of adrenaline. Right. And our limbic systems are hijacked. We're all hijacked from our, from blackout Tuesday hijacked us. Yeah. Yeah. And we're like, fuck, we're a bunch of white guys who never owned a slave and who have black friends, but fuck the whole collective trauma of humanity for the last 4,000 years of the history of slavery and American history and civil rights and everything. We, we have to deal with that. Like we, that is our trauma to heal now. Right. Which is right. an interesting question. You know, the question I asked my friend last night, just shooting the shit was, you know, it was a month ago that I was like, I would have told you that we are all struggling to deal with our own traumas individually from our childhoods, from our adolescence, from the first girlfriend that dumped us from the, from our older brothers who tried to ditch us from all the ways that we had to fight and claw through the school system and bullshit and blah, blah, blah. Right. We're all still struggling mostly we don't want to do that work. Mostly we want to get on with our fucking lives and not stop being mired in the mud and the muck of our subconscious. Right. Mm. And now it's like, it's almost like the media has given us this incredibly large collective consciousness wound. The biggest one, one of the biggest ones in humanity, slavery, racism, prejudice, hatred, violence. This is the biggest, this is the deepest, biggest, oldest human wound. Right. right. And they're like, hey, you broken millennials who are trying to figure it out. Yeah, this is on you. 
And there was enough of an algorithm behind that that it shook so many people into thinking, oh, shit. Oh, shit. It is my thing. I, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And people are having panic attacks left and right because of that message. People are having panic attacks left and fucking right because of that message. So the question is, what portion of the human collective wound, the scourge of slavery, the scourge of of governance, the scourge of violence and control, what part of that is guys? What part of that is mine? And what the fuck do you do with that? Because yesterday we talked with Greg Enriquez. I, I asked him, I had this intuition that there were ways that racism and trauma and violence could be transferred intergenerationally, subconsciously, biologically, without words, without mumbling the inward under your breath. There would be ways that these kinds of whether it's the shame of owning slaves or the oppression or the violence, all of these traumas. And he told me like, yeah, there's, this has been studied over and over and over and over. Like, like, especially in world war two, the Polish woman who got pregnant in a famine, her child had metabolic issues. His, her child's child had metabolic issues. Her child's child's child had metabolic issues after you know, three generations of not being in a famine, they're still biologically fucked up from this trauma that's passed down, not even verbally, right? Like they stopped talking about grandma's days in the famine a long time ago, but these are things, and literally like, there are a lot of different ways to think about this and like the mythopoetic way of understanding it as just like the human wound that we still haven't like quite, we haven't quite cried that out yet. I think is a, it's a salient thing. And I mean, we could look at that from a number of different angles of whether that's, you know, some kind of biochemical thing that's happening because it certainly is. There's no way that you have, that you're, the African-Americans are, in a lineage that for hundreds of years was violently oppressed, that has a profound effect on the way cognition develops, the way your social skills develop, the way your limbic system develops. Your whole brain is just like, man, from a human development, like from a childhood development perspective, 400 years of abject violence and oppression is like, I just can't imagine what that does to a line of people. And I'm also deeply curious about what 400 years, like I, like imagining that I somehow am lineage from hundreds of years ago, slave owners, like I have to imagine that owning slaves is as poisonous to our consciousness as being a slave. And I think that what we're seeing in the, you know, the white culture right now is this guilt, this like, there's a rising up of this like shame and this guilt from all of this. And we don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to like, we don't know how to say sorry in a meaningful enough way. We're not sure what part of it is ours. Right? 
Well, I, I'm not sure what part of it is mine. Like I have been born and raised in central Oregon. Like we're ethnically homogenous, like with about 92% certainty here, you know, there's like probably seven and a half Mexicans and a half a black guy for every hundred white guys around here. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Things are different What's, in Alameda, but I'm sure you have lots of black friends and aren't a racist yourself. So yeah. Is it, is it, is it fair to say that there's something going on where there's a, there's a elicitation of a response or a call to do something or heal something and being guilty of something with no clear what or where or how to act on that sense of urgency? Absolutely. It's such a, that's, that's, yeah, I think that's the, I think that's the heart of it. That's the heart of the problem right now is that mm-hmm. I think that's the heart of the problem right there is that yeah. it's like this, the sense that the, the felt sense for me is like this anxiety. It's this mm-hmm. panic. It's this hair on fire, chicken with its head chopped off, mm-hmm. directionless. And it's also like, eggshells everywhere it's really scary mm-hmm. it's really scary it's like i'm like hey like i want to be sensitive of this right like the like bringing my emotional awareness to the experience of racism on top of the wounds of growing up public school adolescence friendship figuring out my body, figuring out my hormones, figuring out my sex, figuring it like being a human is fucking complicated, let alone stacking on the color of your skin and the color of other guys' skins and their prejudice that their grandpa mumbled nigger under his breath. And so now you're just like, a, oh man, I can't even imagine. Right. I can't even imagine. Totally. So what basically kind of like, like, I think what you're, I think what you're saying is, at least the image I'm getting, what I'm noticing is as you're talking, the image that's forming into me is this enormous, incomprehensible complexity uh-huh. with a, like a sense of, I need to do something about that. <laughs> no, go. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Talk about like. Seriously. Seriously. Existential, yeah. Existential like orgasmic constipation, right? It's like. No kidding. Right. I'm wrong. No, it's wrong. I shouldn't. Oh, oh. Yeah. It sounds like Wait a bad a mushroom trip. Uh, 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 <laughs> it sounds like a bad mushroom trip that it just never ends. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Yeah. 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 See, that's one crazy. Thing about this is just, it, it's kind of like, it, it, first of all, I mean, my experience with this is just, I have just have find myself um, having a real deep respect for probably not fully understanding to what degree I am an ant on top of a, an elephant that um, is even wrong about not knowing that it isn't an elephant that's on, right? Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a embeddedness that we're thrown into, right? That by definition is so like, we can be aware of that. We don't know that we don't know what's happening. Right. Mm-hmm. But the, it, that awareness kind of, in a certain sense, we can be aware of how much we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really it important. Like, 
it seems like that that uh that which is the case right um there's something about social media and I think we're, I think it's so new. We have no idea what, the, what, what exactly we, what we're looking at with social media, right. And all of the information, but it, I think it has this weird sense of where it takes all of that complexity and makes it super salient in an object that you can't act on. Um, and so like, it's, and so there's this kind of weird sense where where you, you get all of these signals like urgency, urgency, something's wrong, right? Like, but on these meta levels, so and then all of your signals want to go ah, ah, but then you're looking at a screen, and then then you're in this world of like opinions and language and information, and it's a I I have a feeling that the anxiety, maybe the anxiety, is less to do with under an understanding of how bad or good or weird it is than it is about that right yeah. what the fuck do we do now mm -hmm. and like what it's like at some level it's like well how do we know there's a fuck to do now based on what what is that referencing right and then you look at like well kind of we're swimming in information without a direct encounter in a certain sense right so it's like we're having all these things on a very meta level that are signaling emergency, <laughs> but my embodied sense, it activates the sense of like wanting to do something, right? Or being guilty for something, or it activates your consciousness, but there's no, there, uh, but there's no uh, environment directly to then act on. Yeah. So it's kind of a strange situation. I, I mean, like, Fuck. I mean, I'm looking at all this stuff. I, I mean, I, I get, I get there's racism involved. I mean, but is the response of what all the stuff I'm hearing, is it about racism or is it about something else? Yeah. Like, what exactly are people like it? What? I don't know. Like, I don't know if anybody quite knows, right? It's so, it's so complicated. Yeah. Um, and the nefarious agendas of all the possible actors who are, poking the you know the american system when it's very fragile like it's a yeah. fragile system that's very fragile that's on the knife's edge of just blowing up yeah. like i have friends further south in california than you and they're telling me that they're seeing these pallets of bricks being delivered to places where protests are planned mm -hmm. yeah and i'm like oh my god that's like inciting violence inciting the 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 shift inciting the shift from protest to riot the 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 shift from protest to looting right. hmm right. yeah there's all kinds of there's all kinds of things that i can't know that i'm so so skeptical of uh -huh. right. i'm so skeptical of and i know in general that trying to solve racism with Facebook is like trying to cook dinner over a crayon drawing of a fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a bit, so, so that, that right there is a world we've never been in before, or it's only been there for 15 years. Right. Like in what's strange about that world is how much it just disappears. Like it's taking something for us to art, like to lift it up into, 
and to talk about it and reveal it because we're, we're there's something about technology that seems to the, the characteristic of it is it is miraculous things like the internet and having the the entire being able to have a thought and like directly transmit it to the entire world <laughs> in a second in your finger or actually on your watch right only happened i don't know a few years ago yeah and it's uh we end up living inside of it and it fashing in us and it disappearing into the background right so i think it's like i think it's more there's there's so much going on right now that we have no idea how to completely understand and exceptional let alone see right absolutely dude i i think that we are in uncharted waters and it's 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 really it's almost funny i want to say funny it's interesting it's scary but it's also funny how quickly we get used to shit because <laughs> the cell phone thing the social media thing it's like yeah it's like you know i i think our hair might ought be on fire for we have no idea what we're doing to our minds with social media. We don't know what we're doing to our minds with, with cell phones that have social media on them available to us all the time. The other day I'm riding my bike home and I ride by this like construction site. There's this beautiful home being built and there's like this big pile of dirt and in the pile of dirt is standing like a 13, 12, 13 year old boy. He's got a shovel. It's stuck in the ground. He's holding onto it with one hand. The other hand, He's holding his cell phone and he's just scrolling. His, his look on his face is just blank. When I was his age and a little bit younger, my father built a custom home that we lived in. And I had to do all kinds of work on the house, backfilling the foundation, just like this kid was supposed to be doing, right? And I would get so bored. I would totally avoid my work. I would totally everything but shovel but i didn't have a fucking cell phone to scroll on i definitely didn't have any kind of social connection i would toss rocks up into the air and hit them with the shovel like a baseball bat we would throw dirt clods at each other ad infinitum you know until yeah. my front tooth was knocked out and my brother had yeah. a black eye right and yes. it was like so wow yes. that this that like right there like and the age development like like seeing my mother and stepfather scrolling way more than they should on facebook and i'm like holy shit like they're old but like that's having a profound effect on them and i think back you know i think to the kid to the kids who are so much more pliable so much more malleable and who inherently are in a stage of development that that desires and requires so much more social connection holy fuck i feel like i'm i'm still trying to shed the fucking wounds of my own needs for social connection my own you know the the times that i was ditched by my brother my older brother and his friends because i wanted to be i wanted to be cool i wanted to be accepted in their group and i wasn't yeah. Or the times in just middle school and high school where he's just the turmoil of the, the Lord of the Flies situation that is American public school is like, 
man, I can't imagine what cell phones and social media are doing to us. Oh my God. My, I mean, I did three years with a flip phone because at some point my cell phone came out of my pocket on its own accord and looked at my face so many times that I was just like, why are you looking at me? Why do I have this app open? Why do I have social media open right now? And I was like, I can't do this. I'm, I'm, I'm not responsible enough. Right. Right. Well, you know, to give this some perspective, you know, think about it. Like, okay. So I, what, one like a person that's just been, I've been grappling with for like tw- over 20 years, um, philosopher Morton Heidegger. And um, I'm, I'm only in the last few years really starting to understand what his pretty prophetic understanding of the age of technologies, we would call it, right? Mm. That what, what, what makes, you know, it, 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 you, you can't really sum up Heidegger, but like, you know, basically he, his big thing was like philosophy in some way was predicated on the Western understanding of the, of the, of the notion of being, right? The being of beings. And he's like, this is the one culture that where we started to actually understand or have an understanding of the being in which unites all particular beings. And it's like, you could say, it's like almost like understanding an understanding of the, inf- like the, the, the horizon of, of inexhaustible intelligibility, right? That w- upon which, by virtue of which anything is intelligent as anything at all, right? And so Heidegger noticed that there was a, there was a movement or a, hist- a historicity to that understanding through the West, right? And of course, you know, the, the, the deepest level of context, your, your understanding of that, con- your orientation of that context is going to be the orientation of everything within that context, right? So if it changes, right, everything changes in our embodiment, in our, in our living experience and our pre-reflective sense of what anything is and its significance or lack of, of significance. And if you look at history, you know, the West like really was one of the only cultures that has this movement of progress, right? All other cultures, they were banking on staying the same as long as possible for fucking thousands of years, right? Like the same structures and like cyclical time and all this stuff, but you hit the West and something dramatically different happens. And so he's, a lot of his philosophy was trying to elucidate, you could say, feel into the, that understanding of being, and it's going to be the thing that's most concealed to us, It'll, it, because it hides itself in its obviousness. Well, technology, right, he would say is, you know, at some point there was, we understood being, the being of beings as subjects and objects. Anything that was anything, right, was predicated on this notion of that if it was something, it was a subject and object, right? Started Descartes, right? And it was the first to name it and Kant, all that kind of stuff, right? And then into the Industrial Revolution, right? It really kind of like, you could see the movement of that understanding, right, being like in the Industrial Revolution where all of a sudden we have machines and factories where it's like the subject is starting to overcome the dominance of the object, right? And at some point, 
I don't know exactly when this transition was, but Nietzsche comes along and he speaks the understanding of being, right? Of, of where he says it's like the ontotheology or the innermost understanding and the, the God's eye view come together. And he would say that it's the, um, that the, 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 the innermost was the upsurging of the will to power, which means just kind of this, this kind of like meaningless surging up of energy, right? If you will, like this is the, the whole Nietzsche thing. And then the, the, the theos, right, the, the, the theological or the God's eye view was um, the eternal return of the same. Swelling up of, of will and then the, um, the endless order, ordering and repetition of that will. And he says that was the beginning of the technological age, right? And that's the one that we're inside of. And so if we kind of look at this on a, on a more of a, like a less of a, an abstract level and you look at like, well, how does it, how is that playing out? Right. Um, so like, if you just look at our relationship to our bodies, right. Before the industrial revolution, right. When you, life was so fucking embodied and required so much of your body, right. That like life itself um, uh, had your body in some sense disappear, <laughs> right, into your life. And then, and then machines kind of came along and, and the Industrial Revolution, and all of a sudden it, be, it began to like bring the world into a small circle in front of you. And in that moment, right, we no longer had to move as much. All of a sudden, we realized there was this thing called, we started to have these notions called physical fitness right? Like our bodies started to come into view as a, in an object, given that, given that embedded understanding, right? And so all of a sudden people realize, oh, like if you don't move, you get fat. Uh-oh, there's a thing called your body and fitness and this whole kind of world, right? <sighs> and then now check that out. Then, then how did we start to deal with it? And then you started to realize like, oh, fitness, all of a sudden, well, how do we deal with that? Well, we'll, we'll create rooms right? And then we'll, we'll create rooms that concentrate gravity. And then you'll get a membership to that room and then you'll go in, right? And then you'll, you'll make a concentrated room so that you make it hard for a shorter amount of time such that you exercise this body and then blah, 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 right? Radical shift in the understanding of being a body and having a body, right? And that's so built into the intelligibility of the of the everyone, right? Everyone knows now I should exercise. Everyone knows now I have this health that I should monitor. Everyone knows now. It's like, if you go down, you know, 500 years ago, like you ask them about their fitness or their health, it's like it all, all you'll, you probably hear about is like a, a story about them in, in, in the farm. It's like indistinguishable from the world, right? So, so, so there's this, but I think now there's another version of that happening in relationship, right? So like, it's not even been, I don't know, like 25 years ago was the first answering machine. And I think that that's a starting point of, of a major thing, a major shift in relationship and communication and, and interaction where with the answering machine was I think the first time where 
if I, before, before that, if I had an idea or wanted to exchange information, it, I at least had to call you. I always had to go ex have this exchange through this embodied verbal. And if you think about what it is to have a conversation with somebody, it's like, it's filled with ambiguity. It's filled with all kinds of social practices. It's filled with the possibility of shame, right? Like you could say something to me that can reveal something about me that can like put me into a trauma that I need therapy for 10 years. Like that's all, <laughs> or you could say something to me that'll enlighten me, right? And make me a guru for 20 years, right? That, all that's possible in this bizarre thing called inner subjectivity. Uh -huh. Now, the answering machine was the very beginning where somebody could actually exchange information without going through that nervous system, awkward, identity forming courtroom, <laughs> right, of justification called social interaction. And if you think about how we all know we're us, how I know this is my face and I have a name and like, like on so many different levels, I come to be via, through, and in articulation of that sociality, right? Uh -huh. Like I walk around all day talking to people in my head, responding to what this person thinks or like in ways that I can't even comprehend it so deep, right? So what does it mean, right? To then, you know, there's answering machines and then there's texting and then there's Facebook. Well, but what's the, right? what's, the, what's the experience with the answering machine that you're referring to? It's that you can communicate or like, transmit yes. information without actually having a dialogue yes i can like i can receive a communication and be a spectator mm. of that reception versus being an involved because like in a conversation uh -huh. I, you don't even know what you're going to say you uh -huh. find out what you're going to say as uh -huh. much as the other person does right yeah. like the moment i i articulate a thought it's indistinguishable from the understanding that you're having of it. I cannot known without being known. There's a constant and there's a, there's an aliveness that's so native to us uh -huh. that is so deep in our nervous system. Our nervous systems are designed to have that. That's what kind of makes us us. Uh -huh. And so like, if you think about it, what happens just like with, you know, the analogy that I'm, I'm kind of highlighting with our bodies, right? Where there's a division between my life and my, my needing to respond embodiedly to it. Uh -huh. There's now a division that transforms everything about the body, including what the body is, right? So now if you look at the level of like sociality and relationship, mm -hmm. right? When you start to remove, right? And you put this, where now it's an option where it never was an option. Mm. What, is that, what does that mean? And I think the thing about it is that because, I mean, Marshall McLuhan saw this like really clearly that like whenever there's a big change in communication, it changes everything, mm -hmm. right? Like the, from oral culture to, to alphabetic literature, it, it, like the world is completely different after that, right? Like the, it's like, it, it, it fashions us. So I, I'm kind of like, you know, <laughs> it's really strange. I, and 
so there's this kind of, if we look at that, there's this radical revolution, if you will, or shift, right, in how we understand ourselves that disappears so quickly, right? It disappears so quickly. What are you getting as you're, as you're um, hearing my humble musings on? I love your musings. Making my way. Guy, I love your musings. I think this is a, I love the analogy between our bodies that in, that our lives used to be embodied, that there was, our bodies didn't even exist because they were just so integral in our existence. And now we just, everything is so easy in a way that like the grocery store and the light switch and the heater are just all automatic and set to thermostats and powered by the grid. Yeah. Yeah. And we used to do those things with our bodies Mm -hmm. and to even think about my grandmother. She died in November. She was 84 years old. She was the rodeo queen, the state barrel racing record holder. She was the daughter of homesteaders, cattle ranchers. And to think about how those, my my great-grandparents, I knew them till I was 16, right? They died when I was 16. They lived really long lives. And to think about their idea of their health. Mm. Health? The fuck is health? Yeah. Like yeah. we brand we brand the cattle. Yeah. We wake up and we drink we drink coffee and we eat bacon and right. you know like. But it the, never yeah your body never was an object no. of significance indistinguish indistinguishable from the world in which you were embedded in mm-hmm. right so it's like oh it's like mm-hmm. oh yeah a breakdown in health was more like I can't move the cattle anymore what are we gonna do it's like and usually there's a tradition of like. Oh, that's because why you have sons in, the, in there. Uh-huh. Like that's a, ra- that's a real, it's a radical shift in, in going to look at your, your body as an object in which you optimize and tend to, right? Like even me, I mean, I'm talking about all this stuff. Like, and I, and I, I love the whole idea of like hacking your biology. Like, it's like, but there's this quality of like with, with technology, um, Versus like mechanician and industry had this sense of, you know, if you look at the difference between like a windmill, um, a windmill is a technology, but it's at a completely different level because it's like you, you, you create this windmill and it, um, and it, and it access the wind, right. And utilizes the wind to, to rotate, but it, but it leaves the wind as it is. Right. Like it's attuned to the wind in such a way versus something like nuclear energy, which literally like like breaks atoms and extracts energy out. This notion of extracting something out, optimizing something is a radical difference that is in, 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 here's the thing. It's not that we do that. It's not the objects of technology. It's not that we have technology. I think mean, what Heidegger was pointing into and what I'm trying to kind of reveal in the conversation to myself and continually look at is because it disappears so quick is that we're, we're now the standing reserve. We're now, we now see ourselves as having a body to optimize. 
<laughs> like uh -huh. my, I look at my brain like, oh yeah, I get these supplements and these things and you do these uh -huh. running because I'm going to just suck the most out of the most memory out of this fucking thing. I'm going to tweak it here. And like, that's such a, like the intelligent, the, 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 intelli <laughs> the intelligent, the intelligent, intelligibility that by virtue of which grants that is being a good thing to do right that's the understanding of being in the background that uh, is concealed to us uh-huh yeah yeah it's like you're like a you're like a rice burner modding your honda civic you're a newly newly licensed <laughs> driver you're gonna you're gonna get as much horsepower out of this 64 horsepower to totally. <laughs> totally extract that thing like <laughs> louder muffler why do we need to go faster <laughs> yeah, why, why do we have to go point you know three yeah. seconds faster than before yeah, uh, i don't know i, I don't know I, right that, yeah that is not the why question do we need a faster phone well just well, because you do see there's a momentum to it mm -hmm. right it more there's more of a sense of it has us mm. right than us having it um that's scary that's scary and the momentum is if you can zoom out enough to see the speed at which this really heavy object is moving is scary but there was one thing that came up for me there about the windmill analogy that I don't actually think that the windmill leaves the wind as it is. Mm. From our ability to understand it, it leaves it as it is, but there's no doubt that there's an exchange of force, right? Mm -hmm. And we know that the laws of physics say that we are slowing down the wind ever so slightly with those windmills, just like the ground has yeah. dragged, right? This is in the aerodynamics. And you're well it's interesting like so here here's what it i mean one of the things you can think about this is where it, it where we're talking about like our way of making sense of the world is given by a horizon of intelligibility right of like how things show up for us in the way they do it's not like how we can even we sense them. Us. Yeah. Yeah. The way that the agent arena relationship first we find ourselves in, mm -hmm. right? That agent arena relationship that people 500 years ago found themselves in were, was like the salience of it. What showed up, what it was, was completely different, right? Mm -hmm. On some level. And so all their actions was in response to that showing, Right. And they weren't aware of it as much as you and I weren't aware of it. That's how it works. It's, it's, it's in the, the, you could say it's in the primordial risk, immediate responsiveness of how the world shows up as anything at all. And that as structure of being, right? The being of being, right? Like things, things show up as this or as that. And then I have thoughts about them, right? Uh -huh. That as structure. So I, you know, if you think about it, like, like for the person, like when the pe person building the windmill thought of the wind, right? In a certain sense, he really did have to relate to the wind as the wind, 
right? It was what it does. It like did its own thing. There was something beyond that person that he could come into relationship with and attune to it in such a way that it could like, everything about it was in attuned into the wind being the wind, mm -hmm. right? And that's why windmills are beautiful, mm -hmm. right? There's a beauty of attunement to a craftsmanship that was attuned to the being of the wind. Mm -hmm. But like, I think now we think of the wind and we picture a power plant, right? Or we picture a, a resource mm -hmm. in which we can optimize, right? Like Heidegger would say, it's like, we no longer, when we picture the Rhine, we don't see a, a, a gathering river that unites two countries or whatever, right? And the people gather around. Instead, we see a power plant, mm -hmm. right? So things show up for us as a standing reserve, right? Awaiting our utilization and mm -hmm. extraction for our own purpose. Mm -hmm. And you can see that filtered all the way down into people. Like, oh yeah, like what's your network, right? How many people are in your network, right? Like, like how can you optimize your network? How many friends do you have? Like mm -hmm. there's a quality where even people show up for us like that. So I think about like, okay, so. So tie this back. I'm, I'm curious how this ties to social media or like how social media and how our phones, how this technology is showing up, how we're seeing it, how it's emerging. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So here's, Here's one of the things about, again, it's just really, it's, it's difficult not enough to even see it, right? Let alone to know what to do about it, right? Um, and that's some, of the, that's some of the irritation that comes up for me or some of the, some of the like, um, the way people are responding oftentimes. I mean, and Nora Bateson talks about this a lot too. And I, and I really appreciate what, the, the, what she's highlighting in this. And she's like, you know, the, in a system, a, a, a major change in a system, right? Where does it take place? It takes place in the, in the smallest relation, right? Where does the major system like change happen? It, it changes in the smallest integrity, right, of the, of the me and you having this conversation as we're walking down the street, right? That's where that system change happens, right? And so this kind of way of looking at the world's problems as in, in, in kind of conceptualizing it as, as a problem, which turns it into an object uh -huh. that we can solve, uh -huh. seems like part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think where I've kind of come down to like for myself and my experiences is one of the things I do is, is, is um, I'm a co-founder of the practice called circling, mm -hmm. circling method, which is something that emerged between some friends of mine and I that we, it glowed to us in a particular way. And we, it caught our attention. We started moving towards it. And what, it, what it's evolved to be, right, is, an, is a, you could say, is a inner subjective yoga, mm -hmm. right? Which is so telling of our times. Like, just like we needed gyms once the Industrial Revolution came up <laughs> to relate to our bodies, 
I think it's telling of our time that something like circling is becoming so popular because what circling is, is basically looking at what is it, right? What are the things, the underlying um, components that, that underlie all profound conversations, right? All moments of deep intimacy where like there's something about the interaction that is innately nourishing to our humanity, to our senses, to our sovereignty, right? Like what, if we, if we looked at those conversations and we looked at like, okay, what are the, the come froms? What are the environments? What are the understandings? What's the way of being that, um, that seem to, seem to invite that garden to grow? Circling is like a yoga or making that an asanas that people go in and practice sitting in. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's one response to all this is, is that there's one of the places where being in its mystery, right, in its humanness um, can still reach us. It's through intersubjectivity. And I think that's what you're talking about, like how when you are referring to having these conversations with these really amazing people, right? Like it wasn't like what I'm hearing, what I heard in that is it wasn't like you were, you've had these isolated interactions with people that you look back on and you go, that was really neat. There was something about the interaction that affects how I see, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. There's something about the dialogues and the movement of the dialogues and what it takes to understand what Terry Patton is talking about, right? Like in what you feel and then all of the subtle, like social um, things that are going on in the movement of the dialogue and all the mimicry and the horizons that open up that when we walk away, you look at, you know, the way that you kiss your wife at bed at night is somehow more available in a new way, mm -hmm. right? These ways in which we, we look, we can be with another, another really sink in together into deep conversation, into deep intimacy, I think is, 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 is something that cannot be inframed or cannot be optimized, right? It's one of the realms that it's still, um, a connection to the mystery of being is still available. So that's one of the, that's one of the places I've really brought my attention and, and, and is creating ways in which that can be more available to more people. I love that. And this is why I called Guy. This is why I called. I wanted to hear all about this. I uh, have had a conversation with Sarah Ness. You know, Sarah, mm. she started Authentic Relating. Yeah. And there have been ways in which interactions that have a deep intimacy and a raw truthfulness have like changed my life and how I see things. Right. And I think that there's a lot of people, I think most people have had that experience where there's like some kind of either conversation or like even sometimes it's moments in tragedy, honestly, that people are just so present and real and vulnerable that there's like, there's like a real, there's like a real connection the shit kind of falls away. So I really like, I don't know what circling is exactly. I, I kind of, I kind of know, 
All right. I guess I have an, I have an, an idea. I have an idea, mm-hmm. but I really yeah. like, like one of the things I talked to Greg Enriquez about yesterday was that I actually want my, all of my relationships to be more therapeutic. Mm-hmm. And I want my interactions, like I want to be therapeutic for people. I'm, I historically, I am inspiring. I am invigorating. I am challenging. I am motivating. Mm. I'm not that therapeutic. I'm mm. not that, I'm not that nourishing. I'm, I'm invigorating and enlivening, mm. but I'm not that nourishing. Mm. And well, I can tell you, I can tell you moments where I felt really nourished being with you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I would, I would love to hear that. There was like there were moments where you were. I felt. I felt you being impacted in a direct way, in the conversation mm-hmm. that that had me kind of sink deeper into what I was thinking and understanding. Mm. Right, and in that listening, there was a way where there was a real natural sense of flow that I felt mm. with you. Mm-hmm. And just the kind of feeling of your there-ness in the conversation mm-hmm. was like a, like an openness that I think just had mm-hmm. me go into a flow state with you. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of, as I was sitting back listening to you, I was actually thinking to myself, oh yeah, I'm really full and grateful and hmm. nourished. Hmm. Thank you. That's a really nice reflection. And I think... There's a couple things that I feel like you're you're putting your finger really close to what I think is kind of at the heart of some of these things. And one of them is being open, being up for grabs, as Lindbergh calls it. Being up for grabs. I love this idea of being up for grabs because I come into this conversation with you having credence that you are a thinker and that you have ideas and that I am up for grabs. I am willing to be seduced by ideas, the best ones, the good ones, the right ones, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I come into this conversation looking for more perspective, looking for more nuance, looking to be changed, looking for transformation and for healing on my own part. Yeah. So that I come to this conversation with that. And And I think that there's um and I, I would love to hear from you because obviously as a you're a founder and longtime practitioner of this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a new friendship that I have with a younger man, and he's incredibly useful to a fault like it's it's almost it seems like it comes from guilt and it's like something that i so want to kind of shine some light on and there's a closeness to his verbal interactions that is absolutely callous to me that is irritating that is i just like ah i'm like he just like He's not up for grabs. He's Ooh. not up for grabs. And it drives right. me crazy. Right. Because I see just an enormous potential. I just love the kids so much. And 
I just don't yeah. want him to give away his life to fill this this bottomless right. pit of having to please people and having to like be useful. Huh. Um, and so or you care about him. Yeah, I do. Like in like, fact, your frustration at his closedness, right? Is, is, is only presupposes that you really see potential and a possibility for him with his life. Thus, it's painful to see anything in the way of that. Absolutely. And this is what I mean when historic, I say that historically I'm motivating, historically I'm in, invigorating, I'm inspiring. I like, there's a part of me that is stick and not carrot. What, right? Would you say that again? It's a part of me that's what? Stick and not carrot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> stick and not carrot. Yeah. <laughs> There's a part of me that just like wants to slap him on the ass so hard that it hurts enough that he goes, Hey, Hey, Oh, yeah. Whoa. Maybe I, yeah. oh, maybe you're right. Maybe this carrot yeah. isn't fucking good. Maybe I should live my own life. Maybe I should not worry about money in the way that I do. Maybe I should, what do I want to do with my life? What is the most pleasant way for me to exist? What is the most fulfilling mm. way for me to exist? Mm. I think that mm. he was the victim of, a deep neglect as, as a child, a deep neglect. Mm. Mm. I think, so I guess what I'm, what I'm pointing at, what I'm curious about, what is, I feel like the thread that I'm on here is like the transformational power of openness. Mm. Yeah. The transformational power of openness and what, like I, I almost need from you like a pretty morning show. Oh. <laughs> I need a morning show introduction into what circling is. And I feel like the thread that I'm on is the transformational power of openness and what and how circling uses that. Cause I just, I have this intuition that it does. Yeah, totally. Well, if we look at like, so first, first of all, I really, I just wanted to say, I just really, feel in a visceral way as you were talking about him i just feel how much you're for him mm. right like everything everything even even your like irritation with him and wanting to, like all, all that just seems what shines through to me is that mm. you fucking care about him mm. right like to the degree that you've your hit him being free to, 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 to him being free for his possibilities to be mm -hmm. right. Or of, or of, of, of your concern. Here we are having this conversation mm -hmm. with somebody you barely know, and you're bringing it up. Like he, you're, you're holding him, right. Mm -hmm. First of all, just that, just that having that, like having you in his life, when he isn't even thinking about you and he's not around that you're talking about him and you're considering him and you're living with him, you have him in your concern, that in itself, I just want to commend. Thank you. And I think that the, I, I want to learn from you as to how I take that impulse Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't spill it on the floor. I uh, totally. <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you what, from somebody who spilled down on the floor a bunch of times, I really, I get that concern, right? You're like, no, no, no. Right. I'm not the guy that doesn't spill it. I'm the guy with the mop. Sorry. Sorry. Totally. Yeah. Well, here, you know, here's the thing. If we look at like, well, what is being open with him and inviting openness mean in this case, right? Like, so and how to invite that, openness is yeah. also a framework that I want to squeeze out of you. Totally. Well, it's a, it's a, it, it, here, here's the thing about it is that like you see a possibility for him. And when you look at the way that he is in certain cases, you see that, that possibility diminished. Right. And then what ends up happening, cause you care about him. I would imagine you, um, you just want to show him that possibility and have it glow for him. Because that if you can really get it, right, then, then he would like be able to see that like, oh, he needs to open up or whatever it is, the qualities or virtues that one would, right, have if they saw the thing that you see, right? So I think the thing about it is that like, so with this, so from a circling perspective, there's a thing, there's a, um, there's a stage in circling. Um, so, so circling basically was something we discovered and then we started paying attention to it and then we, it's, it's informed us over the years, we were able to start to articulate, it started to reveal itself in different facets and distinctions. And so circling, you know, out of that inquiry, basically has what I call seven stages of circling. And the, and, and the, the first one is sovereignty, right? Who am I, right? What do I feel? What do I want? Where, where am I located, right? And then once I, I'm here, then, then I can go, who are you? And, and so the second stage is the explore. And I think what we're talking about is the explore stage here, which is, and it's, it's predicated on this understanding that, that everything that we do, everything a human being does always makes sense. And it makes sense because everything that they're doing, like with their behavior, with their responses, with their emotions, with their thoughts, it's always in the context of their world. Like there's no mm -hmm. self that then is in the world. No, there's self world. Mm -hmm. There's agent arena. It arises at one. Mm -hmm. So the, his closedness, right? You could say, um, if you get in there, if you could start to understand what is it that he, what is, what is, how is life showing up for him such that being closed, what you're calling closed, is a completely intelligent response, mm -hmm. right? Like you maybe find out, you go in there and you maybe find out it's like, like, oh yeah, I just noticed when I said hi to you, 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 you know, you just, you, you know, you winced or something like that. It goes, it, like one, one way to do that is going like, you shouldn't do that. Like, fuck, I love you, man. Da, da, da. Mm -hmm. That's one way of doing it. But another way of getting his world is more like, what, that wincing? What, what was that in response to? Like, what, how does that make sense? Like, I trust that there's an intelligibility in there, but I want to be able to get in your position so that I can really grok the way this, this, what's salient for you. And if I can understand what's salient for you, then all of a sudden I can articulate back to you why it makes sense that of course you would fucking wince, right? Of course, you know. But what's interesting about that is that that, kind of getting someone's world is hugely rare 
But it's interesting. The thing I've experienced is over and over and over and over and over again is people, people say this thing about circling, have this experience of circling. And where they'll say something like, whoa, I feel deeply seen, mm-hmm. right? What they're saying, right? In some senses, that phrase, if you take it literally, it doesn't, it, it, it's really strange because it's like, well, why, like, well, I'm me, so you see me. Okay, great, I saw me. That's not what we're talking about. Like, it's like when, when what they're saying is like, when I have the experience of being deeply seen, it means that like, oh, how I make sense to the world, right? Is more of like revealed to me, right? And my sense of validity as, as a being, right? Mm-hmm. My sense of deep validity, right, as a being is intelligible enough such that you can articulate it back to me. There's this kind of love of pouring forth of affinity that, that comes out, mm-hmm. right? But what's interesting is that ends up being very transformational in how they see because they've never seen their own seeing, right? Like, it's like, you know, if you asked me to describe everything I see, most likely I wouldn't describe the rims of my glasses because I see with them. So like getting someone's world is like in getting them, we get your world. In other words, we get the structures upon which you make sense of everything, right? And why things show up as they do and how it just totally makes sense that they're contracted, you're contracted in this way, you're responding in this way. But what's interesting is that when you see your own seeing, you're no longer seeing with it, you're seeing it. Mm-hmm. Which starts to breathe that it starts to invite a new a, a new intelligibility a, a higher level of complexity into your seeing, right? And so, and then what ends up happening is that then then for you it's like with him, you can start to when he does that uh, or whatever he does that shows up as as contraction, then you, all of a sudden that moment is going to transform for you too because all of a sudden it's not going to be just this irritating thing that's getting in his way. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a way he's seeing it and you can join him in his world and get curious about it. So what is this? I love that. I think that's foundational and that's really like, I feel like there's such a personal how would I say? There's like, we have such a propensity for all of our interactions to be personal in a way, like that every response, that his wince is about me, right? That's our, that's our first propensity, which it spoils the, the nourishment. It spoils the therapeutic opportunity to come into his world, right? And to but we, we take it as personal. So I think that's really important, but I want to hear just like in not abstraction, what circling is, what does it look like to like, how long does it take? How do we Mm -hmm. like physically, what do we do? Like, what is, what is circling Mm -hmm. as a practice? Yeah, totally. So it's, so, so circling is a practice. Oh, just one, one more thing. I just, felt like I just felt with that thing I was talking about. And I think actually the virtue that you embody when you get someone else's world 
mm. and that is expressed to the other person and with each other is, is reverence. Mm. So to even, even to go, you're, you're a legitimate other, you see things, you have a way of seeing things. And I, like that there's, that you're beyond my conception of you, right? To be able to approach somebody like that presupposes that's kind of like the place in which that beyondness one, it's a humble place, mm-hmm. but it's a reverent place. Mm-hmm. And I think that reverence for you and as a being, right. And the respect that comes through that is implicitly communicated in, in just the attempt to, Mm. And I would have to say that people, I bet you, if you really take a look, if to the, to the degree that he gets in his own way in his life, are probably the result of not people being overly reverent with him. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> right? So like just that reverence in itself is a mm-hmm. virtue that attu- can, can attune and afford so much. And I think that our society right now, what we're seeing, especially with the race issues and with the all of this, like the, you know, as Martin Luther King says that the riots are the language of the unheard. There is like, there is this deep desire to have reverence for our experiences, for our existence, for our lives. There is like this outcry of like, witness me, like, please fucking witness me. Like, please, I am not... I am not your conception of me. I am something totally, totally more complex and bigger and deeper than that. So please, please witness me. I totally see that. I totally see that. And I, I look at like, yeah, yeah, totally. So if you look at like a practice of reverence, I mean, I I think essentially that's what circling is. If you look at it from, from a Socratic, um, you know, platonic, neoplatonic standpoint, I think what circling is, is really the practice of reverency, Mm -hmm. right? Of the virtue of, of having reverence and connecting with reverence into what's possible and beyond all of us when we meet. Right. So like what it often, like what it looks like is that, um, is that basically it's like we set the intention. There's a group of people usually. um, And there's one way of doing it where we just, somebody plays the role of the person who's, who's being circled, right? Who, who is, is having everyone's attention is on. And the other people, there's usually a leader um, who has training in, in, in all the stages and stuff like that. And then there's people participating. And you could say basically what the intention is and what we're practicing is just, it's the simplest thing in the world is we're practicing being with what is. However, when you think about it through reverence, right, it's being with what is from a place of reverence, right? Like inherently saying that like what is can disclose more of itself through our revering of it, Mm -hmm. through our observation of it, through the way that we are with it. And so the the person who plays the role of, of having the attention, being listened to, right, being gotten, right, is is that part of the practice and then the other people who are are participating and leading um are enacting that in in another way 
the thing about circling though is like where a lot of things like a more of a therapeutic nature um, that work with groups kind of have that structure to it. However, it's, it's a very different intention, right? It's, it's the intention isn't to help the person <laughs> or like, or to have the person get something or work through something or something like that, right? That's actually kind of the opposite of the intention. Mm -hmm. The intention is like, no, I'm going to sit down with you and I'm going to enjoy the living shit out of you, right? Mm. I'm going to like just lecherously in a certain sense, mm. see how deeply related I can be with myself and my experience of being with you. And then starting to notice what we notice and getting finding out what's happening in your world. And a lot of times it's just like, um, it, one of the things that we, that we really focus on with circling is the practicing of just being with the relationship that's in the room. Um, I think a lot of the pitfalls that I think I'll, I hear a lot, of, a lot of circling kind of go down the road. It's an understandable one, but it, it's kind of like, I think it's a pitfall, which is they, they have this kind of notion of the present moment as this atomistic, like in the now, the temporal now or something, right? <laughs> But that's not actually what being in the moment is for a human being. It's like the, the moment unfolds more like we experience music, right? Mm. The present beat, right? It, 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 it sings because to the degree that it's anticipating the next beat and it's like got the, the repetition of the last. And so that present beat just actually is just the place where those two things interpenetrate and are transparent and a revelation of the whole song that's mm. emerging. So that, that sense of presence of, of, of where we're recognizing there's what we're talking about, but there's also moments where we stop and we go, okay, what's happening right now? So understanding that about you, you understanding that with us, what's the connection like now? And they may be like, oh, whoa, I wasn't even noticing it, but I fucking feel like you're the best person I've ever met in my life. It's like this, this affinity. Okay, so let's like be with that infinity and like experience all of it. And that's where it becomes like a meditation or a yoga where it's like you're, you're really like with a meditation, you're, you're being with all the nuances of awareness and attention in the body. And you're being with those almost like for their own sake, right? Going into a deep practice such that, so that when you walk out, those capacities are free to, to have their own life in your own, in your own world. It's like that with relationships. It's a yoga of relationship in that, in that regard. Mm. And so I've probably like led, I don't know, I, 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 a number of years ago I calculated, I think that I had led up to that point like 6,000 circles. So I, I think you're probably wow. up to eight or 9,000 now. Um, and I still don't know what's going to happen yeah. when a circle starts. But I, I, I literally like, I, I, I'm really comfortable with the, the restraints and the, the distinctions of the set and setting. But that set and setting designs for a revelation of what's most essential about you, your suchness, but it also opens up to the moreness or the, the inexhaustible, the, the ontological, the ground of our being, right? Mm -hmm. um, through the deeply personal, there's also people can have these really mystical experiences mm -hmm. around that that are very, very deep um, yeah. and very real. Yeah, you're basically plotting a graph that 
then turns into a Mandelbrot. And the further you zoom in, the f- more complex it gets. Yeah, absolutely. The thing that really hit me in the head like a brick there was the delineation between an intention of therapeutic, an intention of helpfulness, an intention of usefulness versus an intention of awareness or being with yeah. what really is. And that's like, I say it hits me in the head like a brick because there's some pain associated with mm-hmm. the awareness of the times in my life that I have, even just in what we're talking about, my relationship with this young guy. the desire I have to help the desire I have to like illuminate or enlighten or liberate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is something that can, I mean, that's, I spilled, I spilled the bowl on the floor there with that. And, and we, that is, I think that epitomizes how we go wrong so much and and this ties back to this whole racism thing that we're talking about Mm. this whole i had i had this epiphany yesterday that i was like oh my god i need to tweet the words don't get mad get sad Mm. like stop trying to fix it and just fucking feel it for a second Mm -hmm. yeah we're 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 our hair is on fire our hair is on fire yeah. In the action of fixing, right, what will fix it if we want to use that, right, is only going to be as effective as how much we can perceive it, mm-hmm. right? It's when, it's one of the things that I think circling has really taught me. So, attunement, right, with another person. Attunement is this kind of quality of where it's like this kind of non-conceptual sense in which you're with the, with the other in their fullness in a way that you kind of like feel into the same sound that they're in and how you know is that you're humming with their hum in this way, right? It's this experience. You don't know it. You feel it, right, of attunement. And so you can, you can have this quality of like, if I'm getting you, I'm hearing you, my words can be in direct response, right, to what's happening with you. And it registers right away, which feeds back to me that I'm on or I'm not on. So, so this kind of quality of understanding the problem, right, creating a strategy and then acting upon the, the problem is another way, right, which is more like, whew, feeling it, right, and realizing that action is wedded to perception. Mm. The more I can perceive, the more visible and invisible inner relations that I can, I can perceive and attune with, the more implicitly my response is going to be in with the relationship and that feedback loop can be there. It's like... Uh, um, Nora's dad, Gregory Bateson, the, he's considered like the second father of cybernetics and system thinking. He said that, you know, because we don't see all of the, the integrity of the intricate relations that make up the earth, 
because we don't see them, we can't relate to them, right? And he said, and I think what he was saying that he was highlighting like, no, it's not like we're bad people. It's just that we don't see. And if we saw them, there's an implicit generosity in the statement that if we, if we could see them and see the relations, right, we, our actions would be in relationship to that. Mm-hmm. So there's a quality. I think what I'm talking about is as we're sinking into it, I'm getting the sense of just seeing your care for this boy and just of like that your care in itself is already there. It will, it will, mm-hmm. you'll act in attunement with him. Mm-hmm. It's, it's probably like the, the, the way that you can act your care, you can, you can express your care is by perceiving him more, mm-hmm. like understanding more, being mm-hmm. surprised by him, really seeing him as a thou. And it's not like that you're then going to have to, then you'll know what to do. You'll find yourself doing it as you, that's what care is. Like mm-hmm. the, you're already caring about him, right? I, but mm-hmm. I think authenticity is in, you could say, is the way that we, the habit upon which we take up that care, right? How deeply we are in that care. Hmm. I love that idea that the, the reverence, the reverence of gaining the perspective of wanting to see more is that is the action that that is the that's the thing it's not like if i can see you enough then i'll develop some kind of solution it's like the act of seeing is the thing that's the fucking mandelbrot it's like you just got to keep zooming in on the mandelbrot yeah so right there Right there. I think you just did it. Go on. Well, I just, you went, you took in everything I was saying, you went, and then you basically rearticulated what you saw, right? Like, but I would say that there's a way in which you're, there's if we look at attunement in this moment like what's the attunement level between each other would you say quite high yeah quite high yeah yeah that's what i mean yeah i just i'm I'm really appreciating your listening and i think when you talked about like how you show up you show up there's a word that you use i show up wanting to be changed by what i'm hearing in the mm-hmm. podcast, right, with these people. What a great fucking, what a great context to be mm-hmm. able to listen, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm going to so fully release my sensorium, my care up to what you're saying, that like, that in understanding to you, I am, I am wanting and willing to, when I come back to myself, I will be a new person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will be different in some way. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that difference in the way that you're listening to me, seeing the difference in you in these subtle and not so subtle ways has me, gives me the experience of being heard by you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. It's not so much you understanding me, although you do, mm-hmm. but like it's the sense in which uh, the poss- the possibilities that, 
the possibilities of the various possibilities that are presencing in your life that are you're talking about how something is more that possibility is more accessible to you mm-hmm. right and in that sense it's like seeing that shift in you has me in some level like relax <laughs> like i'm like mm-hmm. i feel deeply heard there's mm-hmm. an affinity with you so i just want to acknowledge i want to acknowledge you for your 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 ability your uh, capacity for listening mm. it has me just has me just when i think about that and i just think about like if you like just that with him like if he was one of your podcast hosts the next time you see him you just sit down like huh. just that just that openness to him mm-hmm I'm curious as to the role in which my own preconceived respect or reverence, right? Like, like I, I called you because like, I know you have something to teach me. And I like, that's a preconceived notion that I come into the conversation with. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And so it is enlightening to how I spill the bowl by coming into a conversation where I have something to teach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. This yeah. closedness creates a frustration in me because I'm like, shut up and listen. Yeah. Yeah. And when I, when I come to the conversation with no, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. Mm. It's a very different experience for me for sure yeah yeah i think you just really i think you just said something really profound like a distinction that's typically what i that's kind of what i'm referring to when i say that historically i've been invigorating inspiring enlivening Mm -hmm. like like have you ever been 10,000 feet off of the ground in a thermal? Like, trust me, there are higher states of enlivenedness that are available to you that you haven't yet considered. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yes. Right? Yeah. And that's, like, that's the part of me that gets sponsorships. That's part of me that I, when I sit down at a table with the marketing oh, yeah. directors at a brand, they're like, holy fuck, who is this guy? They're like, whoa, like they feel it. They feel it themselves. They're like, maybe mm-hmm. our viewers will feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then I think that that's the, mm-hmm. that's not a nourishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not the therapeutic part of myself. Yeah. Yeah. The invigorating and enlivening, like that's one side of it. That's yeah. on the other side of complexity though. That's on the other side of, of the yeah. therapeutics, right? Yeah. Because I feel like you got to break it down before you build it up. Right. Right. And so sounds like it's like, I think what I'm hearing you say is like, you're going to, you're in a dialectic right now, right? You're these two things are starting to talk to each other. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is like, Oh, there's this, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the the therapeutic, right? And then there's the inspiration, the inspirational. Mm-hmm. 
Like I'm really like, I, huh, I know this inspiration part and it works really like well, and it does really cool things that I would do over and over and over again. It works in all these different ways and it's like contributes. And I like that part of myself. And then there's this other side called therapeutic that when I try to do this at there, there, I end up frustrated. <laughs> I end up, it sounds like unsolicited advice. It sounds like fucking yeah. beating a dead horse. It sounds yeah. like, yeah, it, it, it feels like closedness in the other person. Yeah. yeah, totally. I, and I'm wondering, right. I'm wondering if it has to do with the relationship, right? Because it's kind of like from a level of like, you're speaking to people that you're not in interfacing with. Right. And you're, you're presencing a possibility, right? That they're free to engage with or not, but you're not in relationship with them. Like the more enlivening that is, the more they're able to like actually become present to it and then choose to walk into it, right? But it doesn't seem to presuppose relate, relatedness in any kind of sense. So I would imagine that if you kind of use that sense and you bring it into like a smaller unit of relation like um that'll just be kind of weird because it's it it's there's a there's a the reality is a different reality where you're like oh you're responding to one another you're shaping one another they're attuned to one another right mm -hmm. so it sounds like see i think it's kind of like what even would have you be more related like is probably because it'd be inspiring to be, but the ins inspiration would be implicit in the way mm -hmm. that you were interacting and mm -hmm. understanding that person, right? Yeah, it's like, I, I feel like we've, we've touched on the cart being before the horse a number of times here. Mm -hmm. The intention of being therapeutic as opposed to the intention of hearing, the intention of seeing and reverencing and presencing as the intention as opposed to utility, improvement, yeah. right? supplements. Right. Yeah, right. Rice burner modding. Right. Like, it's like a difference between I thou, I it, right? Like a means to an end and an end uh -huh. in yourself. Exactly. Right? And they're like, both of them are, both of them are like, God, if I had to relate to everything as a thou every moment of the day, I couldn't like leave my bedroom, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like, oh, the wall, whoa, wall, you are wall. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a categorical mistake, right? But, you know, I think what the way that we're related to people, right? <laughs> Car. Oh my God. The unique <laughs> car. The unique car. This is such a huge bad mushroom trip. What are laws? Oh my God. What is car? Exactly. 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 And that's why mushroom trips, you just, you, you can't, you can't have a life if you're high in mushrooms because you, everything is so mm -hmm. filled with thouness, right? Yeah, it's um, so the the complexity is so much more obvious, and we can't even we can't even operate. We got to dumb shit down. Like we're like we need to pixelate this picture, otherwise I can't leave my bedroom. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, guy, like, why are you hugging the wall? Yes, <laughs> it's so oh, it's unique. Obvious, right? It's so obvious. <laughs>
I can't believe I have, I've spent my whole life not seeing this. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, you're losing your shit, man. You're losing your shit. <laughs> so that quality of just like in a certain sense, if you just imagine like, I think that's, it's not like, it's not like you don't kick his ass, right? Maybe that's the appropriate thing. It's not like you don't call him out in whatever whatever's in the way of him being committed to like that's one of the things that would like most of the time in relationship with other people were like the main way of being related to other people is because we're mutually comported towards a possibility right we're trying to like work on a project we're like trying to get something in the world we're dealing with something right there's that kind of triangular sense right so we look at things as a means to the end of that right However, all of that, right, is grounded in an I-thou relation. If this I-thou relationship isn't there, our ability to respond to each other in this revealing of this possibility starts to become diminished, right? It happens in companies all the time, right? It happens in teams all the time. If the inner subjective relationship breaks down, like, like there is no, the possibility goes away. So I think it's a matter of like, not all the time, right? Just like being like, oh my God, right? It's, but, but, but on some, the ability to go into I-thou of like, who are you? Like, oh yeah, I'm assuming things about you, but what's actually going on with you, mm-hmm. right? Oh, I had no idea. Oh, I see how that would occur for you. Oh, what I'm getting about you is this. And now I'm feeling regret for what I was doing. I really apologize mm-hmm. for that. Like that kind of sense of like where you can drop into I-thou right and and reveal re- like oftentimes in breakdowns that what what that's what happens right like when when a breakdown happens and you're frustrated with each other and then if you can actually not fight but get interested right and have a mutual self-disclosure those are the things that then just like when you come out of that you look back at the thing the the, the the thing that you're comported to together and it glows so much more, right? With more possibility and you mm-hmm. see new things, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like that, the ability to do that. And I think circling basically is a yoga of that. It's a yoga of being able to like, be able to like kind of tolerate the anxiety of that, move towards intimacy, not like, like to, to move th- through all those things like frustration and be able to stay in relationship and, and open up through it. Yesterday with Greg, I told him all the ways that I'm terrified right now and anxious and all these things. And he guided me through this framework, this cognitive framework that he's developed and taught for years and years. And I made this joke at the end of the interview about whether or not he could take my insurance as payment for that. And he told me that he had considered for a long time giving up his license as a clinical psychologist because this shit should not be clinical. this stuff needs to be in every house, in every relationship. There ought to be frameworks that we can understand each other better, that we can hold space for each other better, that we can, that our relationships can be more therapeutic in general because we're all so deeply in need of it. Yeah. 
we're all still dealing with the turmoil of our adolescence and our parental relationships and their shortcomings and the shortcomings of our society and our history and our genetics and all of this shit. And uh, yeah, I'm really super glad we connected on this. I'm really glad that you that you went deep enough to figure out what it was about those interactions that you had years ago that made it potent, that made it important, that made it powerful, that made it transformational, mm -hmm. and that you did the work to figure that out so that you could share it because um, it's, mm -hmm. it's very helpful for me mm -hmm. and I can see the, it's, it's illuminating for me and I said that it hit me in the head like a brick because it's illuminating in a way that is promising and painful simultaneously. It's illuminating the promise of the future and the pain of the past. I was like, oh, yep, fuck that up. Oh, yep, that marriage? Yep, I definitely fucked that up. <laughs> yep, you know? Right, right. So, so I'm like, so yeah, like, guy, thanks, fucker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it also is like, when I think about just societally, if we just zoom out to think of individuals and groups, the need, the just innate and incredibly powerful not only desire, but like need to be seen, need to be heard, need to be held, need to be understood emotionally and cognitively and historically and, and have space for our own experience created by another person. Yeah. And to yeah. have someone be curious about us, this is like, this is what is being this is what's being called out for i feel and i don't think that most of the people yeah. who are yelling the loudest about what is happening actually know what they're calling for yeah 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 and i don't i, I even in this conversation i feel like a huge amount of clarity as to what is being called for and what i might do to to answer that as far as being as as far as being a person who is in a position that i can create space for other people's experience and i think that there's a big there's a part of me that literally like in the last couple of weeks i'm like i want to push back against the guilt that i feel like is being purported in my direction Say, no, I'm not a slave owner. No, I'm not a racist. No, stop telling me that. No, this is not my, this is not my fault. I, I am not responsible for the world. I'm not responsible for the problems of the world. This is not my, you can't fucking put this on me. You can't put this on me. You can't put this on me. And this is like the first, this is the first epiphany that we talked about. This predisposition to take everything personally. Uh-huh instead of taking a step back and being like, oh, what is actually being said here? Yeah. yeah. Because 
there is a lot of blame. There is a lot of blaming language, but, but that's the blame. The blame makes sense. The blame makes sense. You haven't fucking listened to me for 400 fucking years. Mm-hmm. 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 Right. And so it comes out as, I think that it seems in my own experiences is, is that it comes out as like guilt as it, it comes out as like an accusation that we internalize as guilt. And then the guilt gets algorithmically amplified to a level that the vast majority of people cannot handle and have to step out of the way and say, no, this must not be a problem. No, this must be a lie. No, this is not my fucking fault. And I don't know, man, like I, I only, I have a handful of black friends, man. And these guys have it pretty fucking good. They have pretty fucking good. They are, they, they do what they want for the vast majority of what I know. Yeah. And I don't, <clears throat> I guess. I so guess right I, now, so, so right now. Okay. So like what exactly so, so, I just want to just, so you're so you're you're speaking that right? Like when you say I had a, a handful of black friends, you're addressing a concern. Mm-hmm. Where's the concern coming from? Who are you addressing exactly? A bunch of white people on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> see, see, it's like that's yeah. what I'm saying. It's like it. Mm-hmm. It's so, it, It's not even. It's a sense of it's hard to even say is it mm-hmm. like like there's no one even to address exactly mm-hmm. right it's nebulous but there's there's a an urgency that once has you want to act but nothing to act upon exactly uh-huh right so just just seeing that like yeah. just looking at that yeah i don't know if there's anything to do about that other than just kind of like looking at that going yeah. what is like what what's that that's strange exactly uh, yeah that's a new wall to hug yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i have this um you know i i thought of something my dad my dad who's a uh, recovering alcoholic he got sober when i was 12 and he, he got really involved in aa and he's you know he sponsors people and all, all that kind of stuff and one time he told this story where where this guy comes up to him um, that he that he had sponsored apparently years ago, right? And the guy comes up and he's just like, "Hey, I left before I could tell you about it. I've been wa- I lost touch with you, but I wanted to say that thing that you said to me. When you said that, that revealed everything differently. It changed my life. It had me move. Da da da. My I'm so much happier. Da da da. Right? And and he gets done and they hug and my dad walks away and he's like he misunderstood what I said. (laughs) (laughs) So there's this quality of like, what, like, and I think that story funnily exemplifies a real truth that like, I don't even know, like there's something else going on here. That's a lot more mysterious than me right like 
well, who's to say? Like, you know, it's a funny situation. Well, oh, oh, you misunderstood me. I'm going to correct you. Well, is that really more true or is it more uh-huh. true what he heard? Yeah, no right? shit. So there's this kind of way that like, if you look at it with my dad, my dad just showed up and he was himself and he like really was in that conversation and he took people on and he cared for the people that he could actually, um, his body can comport to, right? He, there's a way in which we're, we're like, I think this, this, this thing that Nora said has just really been playing, you know, you know how you get these, somebody says something and you're like, oh, that's interesting. But then it wiggles in you, right? Mm-hmm. This thing that Nora says that like the biggest change, system change happens, the place it happens at is in the smallest intimate relation, mm-hmm. right? And it's interesting. That is like pragmatically, like the, to be a human is to be thrown into an intimate relationship of, of a world and you kind of, you arrive and you... <laughs> You arrive and by the time you wake up, you already have a first name and a last name that you didn't pick with a boatload of concerns and social things. And you're already enacting it begun and then you kind of become aware of it, right? Mm -hmm. And like so much about human life is about coping. Like we become who we are with how we respond to Mm -hmm. being alive. It's everything Mm -hmm. that we're doing is a response. Well, it's, I think it's really important and it's really easy to lose this on the internet in, in this way that you don't even notice it where like, no, there is like how you become you is through coping with your chosen and thrown into concerns of the world. That's how you realize your character and the world realizes itself through you bring your full attention to those relations and and actually like the stoic thing right which i think that's really brilliant right where they're like look you have very little agency it's like barely barely distinguishable like you should probably direct it towards the things that you're actually can make a difference on right Mm -hmm. and it's not obvious right that's rationality to ration for what actually my attention Mm -hmm. can actually um make a difference on Mm -hmm. and like define those things right and then bring your attention and concern and commitments into those things so that they can maybe open up beyond themselves and that you mutually realize your world as it realizes you in that exchange and you can almost think about like the the internet on some level social media is like an it's like a a dyslexic stoicism (laughs) it's like Here's all the things. Your agency is gigantic. Your reach is global. The most deeply embedded systemic failures of humanity are at your fingertips, you lazy white cocksucker. Right. Right. Now go. (laughs) Go. Click, 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 click. Uh, uh, Say stuff. Yeah. Guy, why are you hugging the wall? Get up and fucking fix the world. (laughs) Fuck. But I do, you know, one of the things I, I think that there, there are ways is like where, where technology is actually bringing something more available mm-hmm. that isn't more technology, which are these conversations. Yeah. Like I can't think of a, like a less technological thing than a meandering conversation. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's, there's something in these, this is a, a part of the internet that I think it, it actually starts to show the potential of it. I think. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this. Yeah, it's been really fun, man.
nice getting to know you. Yeah, nice getting to know you too, guy. <laughs> we'll yeah. do it again. My life is my 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 life is calling me to cope with it right now. So yeah, mine too. Mine too. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, you too, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks. Where where can we find where can we find more stuff? The more of your work and more information about circling. So a cu- couple of things. I the company that I own is called the Circling Institute, and we offer like circling um, weekly. It's all online right now. Um, so there's like a Thursday night circling that anyone can come to. We have weekend events. And the main thing that we do is a year long training program called the art of circling. That's all online now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll give you the link for it. The, um, the circling institute.com. Um, I also, I have a, a YouTube channel where I get really cool people on and we have these kinds of conversations and that's just guy saying suck on YouTube. And if you want to contact me personally, just email me at guysinkstock at gmail.com. Love it. Love it. Do me a favor. Connect me with Nora Bateson. Sounds like I need to talk to her. Yeah, totally. I will. Okay, Guy, I love you, man. Thank you. Yeah, you too. And I'll, I'll, send you the, I'll send you all the links and stuff so you can post them. Great. Great, man. All right, my friend. Good times. Bye. See you. Okay, you guys, I know you love that. I know you love Guy now. So check him out, the Circling Institute. These are things that you can learn how to do. These are things you can learn how to facilitate. And you can also just participate as a part of the circle there. He has like online gatherings and all kinds of different ways that you can get involved with this kind of authentic relating that Guy has created and I'm sure has transformed in the last couple of decades as he's been practicing these things. So Guy will definitely be back on the show because we are friends and he lives in San Fran and yeah, good stuff. So glad to know him. Love you, Guy. Thanks for your time. Love you. Thanks for listening. If you want to support this show, you can give me a gift. A gift could look like nearly anything, really. It could be Anything from encouragement in the shape of an email or a response or a review or sharing the podcast could also look like some kind of monetary gift. That would be at paypal.me slash in the air. Or if you need to back your trailer up into my driveway to dump the huge load of money, then uh, just let me know. I'll move my truck out of the driveway. That would be great. I have a shovel too. It can help unload that. Um, yeah, gold bullion or, you know, rare earth minerals i don't know Um, if you want to get creative with your donations then yeah send me an email we'll work it out we'll work it out if you have some piece of asteroid or something that's very uh valuable that i can turn into a bitcoin and fund my life (laughs) okay all right you guys stay healthy i'm gonna fucking try to find my mind over here we'll see you on the next episode all right see you later fuckers Woo!